We brokered about 28 million in SREC transactions. We manage about 11 megawatts worth of projects in New Jersey through the certification process that Suzanne's pretty active with. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thanjan, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I wanted to personally invite our listeners to our summer solstice party, which is on Thursday, June 20th from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. at Hudson Hall in Jersey City, New Jersey. We'll be celebrating the summer solstice, which is the longest period of daylight, and our Solar Maverick podcast, which is one of the most popular podcasts for solar energy. I'm also one of the co-owners of the event venue, which is Hudson Hall, which is a Czech beer garden smokehouse. The cost to attend the event is $10 and light food will be served. You could learn more information about the summer solstice party on the Renew Energy website, which is R-E-N-E-U energy.com. Again, it's Renew Energy, R-E-N-E-U energy.com. We look forward to meeting our listeners and Lee Wang, who's one of the co-hosts of the podcast and some of our guests will be there and we look forward to seeing you there. We really appreciate your support of the Solar Maverick podcast. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm your co-host, Suzanne Waters. And I'm your host, Benoit Thanjan. So we're here actually today. We're going to do a little SREC 101 before we get into it. We're you gonna... have to listen to the previous episode with Suzanne and I on the Community Solar One. Which episode is that, Suzanne? It's actually one of our top downloaded episodes of the past 30 days. I'd like Community to make it Solar the top, everybody. So it's episode 23 for everyone who's curious. Yes, and it's about community. Solar, which is one of the fastest growing areas of solar. And it's a 101. It's basically high level, talks about community solar. And we got a lot of great feedback on that episode, Suzanne. So I appreciate you oh, yeah. coming up with the idea and us working through it. And always excited to have you on the podcast. Oh, I always love being here. If you haven't realized, I guess I like doing these 101s. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we're both very familiar with SREX. And if you don't know what an SREX is before we get into it, it's a solar renewable energy credit. It basically represents one megawatt hour of solar energy. But before we do that, can you talk about the two episodes that you're on and what it's about? I know we mentioned the community solar one, but then about your solar story, what episode was that? Sure. Back in the beginning of the Solar Maverick podcast, I was featured on episode six, talking about why solar is a great industry to work in. And then I was back featured again, well, co-hosting episode 23, Community Solar 101. And now I'm back. We're going to do the S-Track 101. Both are great listens. If you guys haven't, you're new to the podcast and haven't listened to any of the earlier episodes, don't forget them. (laughs) (laughs) And Suzanne's keeping track of... (laughs) I get a little competitive. What can I say? She's keeping track of the downloads, so I have to keep her updated. And it's interesting because her husband... I was going to uh, mention that as well. Oh, sorry. No, that, that's okay. I, would, I didn't know if I was a, yeah, if I should mention yeah, it. Definitely. But, yeah, definitely. Her husband Jesse Waters, who works for PV Pros, was with the most downloaded episode on the Solar Maverick podcast. Jim Spano from Spano Partners. He had lunch with my arch nemesis today. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But he did have lunch with Jim Spano, who I think right now is our number one downloaded episode. So feel free to check that episode out as well. All the episodes are there. And obviously, Suzanne's going to be doing this SREC 101 
podcast. Then we're going to actually be doing a New Jersey solar market podcast. And then actually a New York solar market podcast where Suzanne's the co-host. And then we're excited to announce that Suzanne and I will be interviewing Juan Trulio. Triol. Juan Triol. He has the letters right, but he gets it mixed up. Ron Triol, who's a former co-worker of both Benoit and I, we worked with Juan at Vanguard Energy Partners. So future episodes to come, we'll be co-hosting an episode where we interview Juan. And I think that'll be a great dynamic. Suzanne, I, and Juan have spent many hours together late nights responding to public RFP. So it'll be an interesting dynamic to get his perspective and then both Suzanne and I to interview him. And I feel like any episode that Suzanne's on, that we have to give a shout out to Juan. And Juan, this is Benoit, I apologize (laughs) that we've been talking about getting you on the podcast for a while and I've been just so busy, but uh, we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. We're excited about that. Suzanne, can you talk about what you do for Renew Energy? Sure. So I'm the VP of Business Development here at Renew Energy. I focus on business development for CNI building owners and landowners. I do a lot of our proposal writing, most of our SREC management. So hence why I'm co-hosting this episode. We've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but if anybody has any ideas for the podcast, any questions, any business opportunities for Renew Energy, feel free to reach out to me via email. Suzanne at renewenergy.com. So you spell my name S U Z A N N E at Renew Energy. That's Renew R E N E U Energy.com. I hope everybody got that. Yeah, and we'll have it in the notes as well. So obviously, our, our developing solar projects. So if you're a CNI building owner and landowner, even roofers and others, people in the ecosystem to partner with, feel free to reach out to Suzanne and I. We're actively involved in community solar. As well, I know someone reached out to us recently from listening to that Community Solar 101 podcast that they need help developing a project in New Jersey. And then the other sort of announcement was that we're actually having our big summer solstice party that's happening Thursday, June 20th from 6 to 10 p.m. It's going to be in Jersey City at Hudson Hall, which is a Czech garden and smokehouse. If you don't know, summer solstice is the longest day of sun, and it's actually the unofficial start. Is the unofficial the start of summer? That's what they say. I always thought it was the first day of summer. So is Oh, this... yeah, yeah. Well, isn't unofficial start and first day of summer almost the same thing? No, I think the unofficial start of summer is Memorial Day weekend, but only... Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's right. You should know that. I should having a... a house in the Jersey. House. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. But no, I thought, and I could be wrong, but yeah, I think that the official start of summer every year is the day of the... Because spring and fall are the equinoxes, right? Oh, yes. And then the... Is it called a winter solstice? What is that called? So the they have a winter? winter and summer solstice. So yeah. this is actually the summer solstice. Then in December, it's the winter solstice. The shortest so day of the year. Shortest day. And that's when every day is going to actually be obviously longer. And then obviously when you have the summer solstice, which is technically that Friday, June 21st, oh. we're celebrating it. Thursday, Thursday, the day before. The day before, that's the longest day. day and after year. that, it's going to start being shorter and shorter. Mm-hmm. Already we're seeing the sun being out a lot longer and later now. Yeah, than we have I know. Before. I hate that we do daylight savings. I feel like the day just gets longer the, the first day after that when you turn the clocks spring ahead. So you turn the clocks forward. forward yes. So yeah, so then so June 21st will be the first day of summer. So yeah, we're celebrating a day early. A day so early. So come out and join. I actually won't 
I'm not going to be able to make it this year, but um, <laughs> I'll be there in spirit. So everybody else, come and join yeah. Benoit and everybody else at Renew Energy at the Summer Solstice At the Summer party. Solstice, we'll play your podcast. So, so I will be there in spirit. <laughs> You'll be there in spirit. <laughs> that was Schooling one thing everybody Suzanne, on the first day of summer. That's one thing Suzanne did not want us to do at the holiday party and made sure. And she was surprised when people, we had listeners come from the show on the holiday party that people actually recognized Suzanne A couple by people were like, voice. do I know you? And I was like, well, I hope you mean it because you listened to my episode. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely something I was telling Suzanne, like I was actually in California for the Solar Infocast, which is the big finance conference. And a couple people came up to me from seeing the podcast or, hey, I listened to the podcast. And it's surreal because... They recognize your picture. Your picture and then the voice and then they feel like they know a lot about you from listening to the podcast. So yeah. it's an interesting platform. Very interesting. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing Suzanne and I were talking about too is our other co-host, Lee Wang, who's done about six to eight episodes. He's the director of marketing at Renew Energy. We tend to talk about sports, Lee and I, but Suzanne and I actually talk about totally other things. I don't know, Suzanne, if you want to talk about it or if we should talk about it, if people are interested in actually hearing about what we talk about. Bunoy and I like to talk about, what would you call like celebrity gossip celebrity or gossip. reality television? Yes. Just entertainment type things yes. yes so we were actually talking about i had watched documentary on both netflix and hulu about fire festival and i found that really interesting until i watched documentary i don't even remember that whole scandal happening it was only a year ago i didn't never knew about it and it was surprising because like obviously ja rule was involved and then you had all the instagram celebrities and the influencers and the influencers who were involved like so i'm them. surprised that I actually did not really know about this until it came out. And then it's funny because Suzanne kept talking to me about it that one Saturday, which I don't watch that much TV, watched it. And then it was so funny, like how many times people brought up the Fire Festival because I think a lot of people saw the, especially the Netflix one, because yeah. that's when it just came out on Netflix that you and your sister for your birthday, right? Yeah. She was like, we need to watch this. I heard about this. And I was like, I have no idea what this is about. And then we were watching. It was really... Really interesting. I can't remember. We watched the one that he was not interviewed on first, and I found that one more interesting. That was the Netflix. That was Netflix. One. Okay, I seen and the Hulu, the Hulu one. one. They actually interviewed him. That was good, but I think because I watched the Netflix one first, I had liked that better. But quite a scandal. And I had asked Manoy, Magnesis. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you have a Magnesis card? Yeah. So it's so funny. I'm totally blanking out on the person who did the fire festival, but then he also had the social club in New York City. and It was almost like a black card, like the American Express yeah, black card. So I was actually in the Lower East Side one day at this like lounge or bar, maybe two or three years ago. And I'm totally blanking out on his name of the fire Festival, but he was trying to recruit me to buy this Magnesis card at their party because I ended up just crashing that party because I thought it was a lot better. <laughs> And then we were end up talking. He's actually from New Jersey as well. And then he was pitching me the Magnesis card. And I thought it was too good to be true. And I didn't actually. And then move it forward. turns out it was too good to be true. <laughs> yes. So good thing you didn't. Yes, to another level of the fire festival. But Benoit actually has a lot of celebrity contacts for those of you that don't know. So that's how we started talking about that. So I said, Benoit, I'm surprised you didn't have a Magnesis card, which also then brought us into something else we were talking about, Coachella. And what did you write this? Baychella. You were actually at Baychella, like pretty close to the stage. Yes. So it's interesting because we were talking about festivals, fire festival, and obviously everyone knows Coachella. 
And I was actually at Coachella last year, and I was in the first row when Beyonce did the week one Saturday night of Coachella. And she just recently came out with her Netflix documentary, and that was Homecoming Beachella. On Homecoming. That's right. That's right. So, okay. they call it Beachella or Homecoming, which was, I was totally blown away yeah, by sure. it. And yeah, it was just such an amazing performance with the live band. And now she actually, I think, has come out with a soundtrack specifically for that show. For that show, both week one and week two. I was at week one. And I have actually some great video from it that I, I never showed you, but definitely. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. And you should see the documentary. Destiny's Child was there. Jay-Z as well performed. Solange, her sister yes. as well. And then they had a full band as well. So Was, was Kanye pretty... West there? I mean, Homecoming, no. isn't that his album? Homecoming was one of his first albums. I thought so. Okay. But Kanye was actually at Coachella this year. Sunday service. Sunday service. I keep up with the Kardashians. Yeah. <laughs> And then after the Kardashians on E, there's also a very Cavalieri who Suzanne and I joke about Kristen Cavalieri because we were fans of Team her. Kristen Team Kristen from Laguna Beach and then even, I guess, in the hills. In the hills as well. And then she's married to Jay Cutler who played. Which is why you enjoy watching the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I actually saw Jay Cutler play when he was at Vanderbilt. That's where he played yes. college. Yeah. My friend was actually going to school at University of Florida in Gainesville and homecoming, I saw Jay Cutler play. And I'm like, wow, this quarterback's like pretty amazing for Vanderbilt. And then he ended up being a first round draft pick. And then actually seeing him on Very Cavalier, he's actually pretty entertaining and pretty funny on the show. And I've been a fan of Kristen since, <laughs> <laughs> since Laguna Beach. Suzanne and I always joke about It's this, funny. So. It's a completely different topic than sports, but I can't talk sports that well. So yeah, luckily and, enough, and he and I can both talk reality, re- reality TV, TV and entertainment I mean, gossip. I don't really actually watch that much TV other than New York Giants football and like the Shark Tank and Profit. I rarely watch TV, but... I don't watch a lot of live... Well, we don't even have yeah, cable want, anymore. Yeah. I just have the streaming. So I watch everything when I'm folding laundry. Yeah, I'm like multitasking yes. basically. Basically, I'm like then watching stuff. Suzanne and I talk about that. And it's funny because Lee actually brought up how I met Mandy Moore oh, on the podcast. Oh, that's right. And then a friend of mine, I don't know if I told you, yeah. a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago was in a wedding out in LA and was at the wedding, oh, hi or something. She was at the pool with Mandy Moore. And I was like, I was just talking about oh, Mandy Moore with funny. Benoit. Yeah. yeah, I was at her Walk of Fame ceremony. It was funny right. because I was telling Lee about hashtag free Britney Spears. I and know. he didn't, he didn't have no idea what I was She's talking about. She's back in mental health issues, not actual. Yeah, so. I know. But it's interesting because he's not even that in-depth in the whole thing. But I kind of have a high level based on followers that I follow on Instagram to know what's All the influencers going. that All you follow? Influencers, yes. And by the way, some influencers are following me as well. Oh, but, you know. You could brag about that. <laughs> I would brag about that. I currently have no influencers following me on social media. <laughs> but that could change, you know. I would say so if any of you out there are listening to this and feel free to follow me. Maybe some other time we'll talk about Suzanne's aspirations. Yeah, my other ventures. Her other ventures, yes. <laughs> but for now, let's get into what everybody is tuning into this podcast for. We're going to do an SREC one. Yes, excited about that. We've obviously mentioned SREX in previous podcasts. Honestly, we have a wide range, a lot of industry people, but then people who are just interested in solar who listen to it. So we thought it would be helpful to have this. And SREX is basically a very important state level incentive 
uh, for the development of Kind of like stocks. Is that a good way to compare them? I mean, it's a trade. The way they fluctuate and... Yeah, it's a tradable commodity. It fluctuates in value. It depends on supply and demand. Basically, the state creates the demand for it. And it's volatile in prices. I mean, Suzanne and I remember we were both at Vanguard Energy Partners when SREX were extremely high value. Then suddenly it collapsed because there was an oversupply of how many SREX were in the market and there was a fixed demand. And basically that decreased the price of SREX substantially where it went from maybe it was in the 300s. I thought it was in the 400s. It was in honestly, the 400s. I remember yeah, pumping right. out those proposals and the when we would do the paybacks, those SREX were a major part of that payback. That payback. And then it went down to basically $65, $70 from $400 per megawatt hour, basically an SREX represents for every 1000 kilowatt hours or megawatt hour that a system produces you have the potential to earn one SREC. Well you gain one SREC and we'll kind of go into that but you have to get your SRECs minted in a system the one we use here in New Jersey is called GATS but so for every 1 megawatt hour that's equivalent to one SREC. Yeah and we'll go into the certification renew energy we have obviously a lot of experience with SRECs. We've brokered about 28 million in SREC transactions. We manage about 11 megawatts worth of projects in New Jersey through the certification process that Suzanne's pretty active with. Before I started Renew Energy, I helped start Solar Cities SREC trading desk. Also, I worked on SRECs at Vanguard, and then I worked at a private equity fund on RECs and monetizing RECs because we had um, different facilities in New England, Mid-Atlantic. Going back to just New Jersey, New Jersey has had one of the most like robust SREC markets and basically the reason why it decreased substantially in value was because there was a 30% cash grant. So it was a lot easier to build solar at that time versus having a 30% tax equity or appetite. Also, the cost of solar went down exponentially. And then also New Jersey allowed utility scale projects on farmland. So that allowed development of huge projects that easily oversupplied the market. And then basically, and they had the Solar Energy Act, I think it was called in 2012, where they basically increased the demand of SRECs, and they also did not allow any more solar on farmland. So that lowered the amount of utility-scale projects. You could do it on landfills and brownfields. So that's something that we saw eight or nine years ago. SRECs are a big state-level incentive. So what Benoit is saying, the influx of all these projects, it's basically the state sets an RPS requirement, which is the Renewable Portfolio Standard. So that's how it kind of determines when there's not enough or too many projects, dependent on what the state sets as how much energy needs to be met with renewable. And we have a solar carve-out. And then the solar alternative compliance payment, that's basically what energy generators, it's almost like a fine they have to pay if the renewable portfolio standard isn't being met. So that hence the SREC, they come in and then they buy this SREC to almost offset the energy that they couldn't produce, right? Yes, that's that's correct. Okay. So I just wanted to give that behind the scenes to kind of people that maybe are a little less knowledgeable about this, what I felt like that was relevant when you were saying explaining about oh, all the definitely. projects being built and then 
all the regulations being changed. Yeah, and basically the demand is created by the state. So basically the state tells companies that are generating, as Suzanne said, in the state that a certain amount of it has to be in renewables and a certain amount has to actually be in solar. And that's why Suzanne mentioned there's a carve-out separately for solar. For example, in New Jersey, basically the carve-out is right now the total solar has to be basically 5.1% of total generation. And that they think is going to happen sometime at the end of this year or the beginning of next year, meaning projects that are in service and basically 5.1% of the load or energy generated in the state will be solar. If energy generators are not, as what Suzanne said, producing any renewable energy, they then either pay the penalty or they basically buy, buy the SREX. And then it usually trades at a discount of the penalty because if there was no penalty, then it doesn't really set the price that it would be, meaning the lower price. So that's why the state basically has this SACP, which they call it, which is a solar alternative compliance payment, or some people say solar alternative compliance penalty. As you can see, the price fluctuates kind of like I was comparing it to a stock because the market could be one day up, one day down. So you never really know what you're, it's, you're taking a risk. Yeah, definitely. And, and we've seen that happen before where people have lost a lot of money with SREX and it's not like a tradable commodity where you could go on an exchange. I mean, there are exchanges. So basically most of the trades are really done through phone call, email, instant message. There's also an exchange called ICE where people trade. It's almost a marketplace. And then CBL Markets, which has created an exchange where they do spot pricing. There's also aggregators who basically they buy SREX at a certain amount price and then they basically aggregate and sell it to a buyer. You could go on their websites and sell it. But it's an illiquid commodity. It's not just energy companies that are trading. There are hedge funds and investment firms that make money from trading it. Actually, we've helped several hedge funds, giving them trading ideas to trade and make money through it. Well, and it's also typical to have long-term contracts between companies. Yeah, and that's an important aspect of it. So basically, as Suzanne mentioned, you know, there's a lot of volatility in these SREC prices. So when someone's developing a project and they want stability of prices, so they would like to get long-term contracts. And what we see is the most common length of time is usually a three-year contract. And you could basically finance those cash flows from debt with having this three-year contract. There are five-year, 10-years, they're, they're prepay contracts. But the ones that are most common are three years because the energy generators or suppliers basically go through an auction process to bid for generation for the state. And usually those contract lengths are only three years, so they don't want to forecast past that time. And in New Jersey, they have what this sort of BGS auction, and that's why long-term contracts are preferred because of the volatility and from a financing perspective. Right. But then on the flip side, if you sign a long-term contract and then you might be able to sell the SREX on the spot market for much more than you sign the long-term contract for. So you're taking that risk either way, really. Yeah. So it depends how comfortable you're willing to take with risks. There are obviously people who don't do long-term contracts. Some of our clients, they just prefer to do spot market trading. Right, see what they can get. What they could get like versus a three-year because it is going to be a discount to then what they could sell it on the spot market. I think an interesting part of this is, we've talked about this before, there's federal incentives for solar, which is a 30% investment tax credit. There's also accelerated depreciation, so five-year makers. That basically equates to 50% of the cost of the project. 
then now we have like these estrecs, which are the state level incentive. And people always ask, how come like Massachusetts and New Jersey are like the top states for solar? Well, it's because they have high electricity costs, but it's also because they have a strong state level incentive that allows them to be more economical because people won't develop projects unless they're making a financial return from it. Just to give people parameters as well, like the cost of electricity for a commercial industrial customer in New Jersey is around 11 cents to maybe 13 to 14 cents per kilowatt hour. And ESRA currently for 2019 is basically right now trading at $232 per megawatt hour. So that's like 23 cents per kilowatt hour. So it's almost double the cost of electricity that the customer is paying for, for the incentive. So that's why, like, for example, in New Jersey currently with this ESRIC program, you could have a long-lived solar system that's basically going to last for 25 to 30 years, but the paybacks only happens within two and a half, three years if you own the system. So it's very lucrative for building owners to look at. That's why also, as well in New Jersey, you could also potentially get a discount to your current electricity costs through a long-term power purchase agreement or PPA and also potentially get roof work included in that and you still get a discount to your electricity with a third-party investor who basically owns the system and then signs a long-term contract. We did a really good episode. I forget which episode it was, but integration of roofing and solar. That's one of my favorite episodes, actually. But that's a great one to listen to to kind of get more information on what Benoit's mentioning right now. Yeah, so that's with Daryl Pylon from Standard Solar. They basically invest in, in projects. They have about $500 million a year that they invest in projects and provide a PPA and Carlisle Roofing with Bob Burwasser, and they basically have a roof restoration solution, which is cheaper than a roof replacement, and then they combine it with the financing product. We are actually working on a second episode with both of them because we got great response that goes into more detail on solar and roofing integrated. I know you're looking forward to that one, Suzanne. One thing about SREX as well is it's very popular in the Northeast states. So, you know, Massachusetts had an SREC 1, SREC 2 program. They're now moved to the SMART incentive, which is more of like a feed-in tariff 15 years for utility. Obviously, New Jersey is another big state. Pennsylvania... D.C. and Maryland and Ohio. Those are the primary states for SRECs. There's also RECs, which are renewable energy credits that relates to all renewable energy. Some states don't have a separate carve-out for solar, and usually the REC values are a lot less, between $5 to $50. So it might not be as economical as well. Yeah, actually, one of the systems that we trade the SRECs in, PJM, that stands for Pennsylvania, Jersey, Maryland, and then Neepool, New England. It's basically the New England power pool. Those are the two sort of big GIS systems. Suzanne, that would be actually helpful for you to talk about the whole process of certifying an SREC and how that works, taking the generation and how you use the PJM GATS. I know you're very familiar with that more than probably most people or 99.9% of the people. <laughs> so that's the thing. Before I actually got into this, with it's almost like you think, oh, like we were saying earlier, your system generates a megawatt hour of electricity. You just get this SREC. Well, 
you actually have to log into this system. The PJM GAT system is the one we use here in New Jersey. And on a monthly basis, you have to enter your meter reading. They can do some off of estimates. I prefer to be exact. <laughs> so we enter Suzanne's <laughs> very detail-oriented, which is great. She keeps me on track because I'm kind of very high level. So they do allow you to do estimates, and I'm just more comfortable actually entering every month's end meter reading, and then it calculates based on last month's meter reading. The difference is obviously what the system generated that month. And then for every one megawatt hour, you gain an SREC, but you only get the SREC by actually inputting all of this data, and there's deadlines. The data has to be entered by. They have the deadline, and then that night they turn all of your information into the applicable SRECs. Which they call minting. Right, minting the, of the SRECs. Once those SRECs are minted, then you can, if you're in a, the customers have a long-term contract with a buyer, then we go and we transfer the SRECs via PJM GATS. And if they don't, which we've had some circumstances in the recent past, we actually have to go on the spot market and find buyers for them. So that's where I was saying, it's interesting for those clients too, because then they see, well, how much am I making or losing by not having this three-year contract, in some sure. cases, it, they make out. There's a lot of administrative work that goes behind It does <laughs> minting the SREX. Yeah. Well, and selling the SREX, just SREX in general. And then, for example, as well, doing like the Ford certificate transfers where some contracts will basically require that you automatically set up unrevocable Ford certificate transfers, meaning where we don't even we input the generation, but automatically it's transferred to those parties. Right, like an automatic bank transfer, like every month you pay your rent to your mortgage. Every every month a certain amount of SRECs. And actually the tricky part to that is you can't indicate an amount of SRECs. You have to indicate the percentage of total SRECs that are generated. So that is what I don't like. It works all on estimating uh, estimates. Yeah, so you would set up 50% of your system's SRECs to automatically be forwarded to this specific buyer. And then you have a couple of long-term contracts and then you want the other 20% to go to this buyer. So you can set them up that way too so that you're not in there every month having to actually transfer the RECs. And I guess buyers like that because of the security of no administrative error. <laughs> Nobody's forgetting Definitely. to actually go in and transfer the RECs. And then there's the case if you're over-transferring then you go through the motions of the buyer then actually having to accept some and transfer the rest back. So it can get very... Convoluted. Compl- convoluted and complicated. <laughs> Definitely we've seen that as well with Suzanne being so precise. We've seen when we've taken over for other companies. We've opened up Pandora's box yeah. a few times. <laughs> yes, where there's been a lot of reconciliation because things weren't inputted incorrectly. Then we have to figure out why it happened and figure out what the client wants to do. That's actually something that I forgot and now I'm reminded of. We can also set it up where, um, so you don't actually have to manually go in every month. If your system is being monitored by one of these approved monitoring systems, PJM Gats has relationships with what they call third-party reporting, I think it yep, is. And um, reporting, yes. So the monitoring company will automatically upload at the end of the month your meter reading. There's a lot of ways to automate the process, which is a lot of work on the front end, but then definitely pays off on the back end. But it's definitely like a process to use that system until you get comfortable with it. It definitely takes some time. And then obviously if you want Renew Energy to manage your SRECs and broker short-term and long-term contracts, please feel free to reach out to Suzanne or I about That's that. actually what I was going to say. For those of you that aren't interested in having Renew Energy manage your SREX, they do have some pretty good people new to this. Their information pamphlets that they have that are accessible on the website are actually pretty helpful. 
And then their customer service is really good at picking up the phone. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about that other story later. (laughs) And then also we actually do SREC research as well. We've done SREC research. We uh, helped actually an energy company, their non-regulated utility that we're looking to invest in projects in Maryland and New Jersey. And we did this whole analysis for them. Because, you know, one of the things we get all the time is, where do you think ESHREC prices are going to be six months to a year? Always clients and other parties are reaching out to us to kind of get a market commentary on what we're seeing in the markets. But we do create customized reports on the different markets. And I think an interesting thing too that we should actually talk about as well on the podcast is ESHRECs have been very popular specifically in the Northeast markets. But now it's been changing. We talked about Massachusetts went to the SMART program, which is more a feed-in tariff. New Jersey as well is going through a transition where they're moving away from this tradable commodity, more of a fixed incentive. So right now, basically, this current SREC program in New Jersey is going to end when basically there's 5.1% of solar generated in the state of New Jersey. And then they're going to do a transition program which there hasn't been a lot of information on this, but it'll be like a 20% sort of discount. I think they're going to discount production, but the values will still be the same. Massachusetts kind of did that in their sort of transition program, and they're talking about some sort of rebate incentive. That is to, at a certain time, we thought that RECs were going to be kind of the way because it was kind of an open market way of growing solar But what's ended up happening was prices of solar have gone down faster than what the ESHREC values are. And then other rate payers basically paying for solar and people have felt like the incentives. Obviously, I talked to you about the incentive, the ESHREC value of 223 in 2019. But then also, like, for example, in Massachusetts, it's around 377 for ESHREC 1, which was the first program, and then ESHREC 2, $300. So a lot of states are now actually trying to move to a rebate program. DC is actually right now has the highest SREC values at $400 per SREC. So everyone's trying to develop projects in DC. But the challenge with the District of Columbia is to find enough rooftop. 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 Space. Sorry. <laughs> and land. Maybe I should be drinking the water you gave me. And land in DC, which meets basically the demand for it. So a lot of developers are trying to figure that out. They're also looking where parts in Maryland, where power could come in, be considered DC sort of generated. Another interesting point too is in-state SREC. So DC's market got extremely oversupplied because DC allowed other states to basically qualify their projects to trade into it. And then basically the market crashed. So they basically now keep it just as DC in-state. And that's the same thing that actually happened to Pennsylvania. Actually, when we were at Vanguard, we were looking at projects in Pennsylvania because like the ESHREC values were pretty high. I think it was like 160, 170. But then they took ESHRECs from other states and that basically oversupplied the market extremely quickly. And now I think in PA, it's specifically just in that state could qualify because you're technically basically subsidizing other states. So people would qualify in different states and basically trade into the state that has the higher value. But then in turn, it would then oversupply the market. That's some interesting things that we've been seeing kind of in the different markets that have been happening as well. 
that seems a little silly what you were talking about, like Pennsylvania and DC allowing that. What yeah. did they think was going to happen? Well, I think what ends up happening is because we're intimately familiar with these SREC markets, it's easy for us to understand. Yeah. But I've been in a lot of these public policy meetings and we're working, we're a member of SIA. We're also a member of NYSEA. We're also a member of the New Jersey lobbying group, another one, and then MDVCA. So we work with communicating to these different government entities. And unfortunately, like the challenge is that they might not clearly start to understand the issues. So that's why the education is really important. And yeah, Ohio is another market with SREX, but it's challenging because there's only very few energy generators in that state and basically two real utilities that kind of own the market. Prices stay depressed and then trade only happens every two to three weeks, making it extremely illiquid compared to the other markets like a New Jersey market or Massachusetts for the SREC 1, SREC 2 program. So yeah, that's another thing, liquidity and how many buyers are there and what transparency there is in pricing. Right. Again, so just to mention what Benoit was talking about, and we mentioned this in the beginning, the SRECs, the companies that need to buy the SRECs are the energy generators. So if there's, like he was saying in Ohio, there's really only two big ones. So you don't really have a lot of demand at that point. Yeah, and they control the market Yeah, and they could impact pricing. They're almost like an oligarch in a certain sense. Just because it's, you say SREC, it's a totally different program in different states and you have to understand the benefits and the risks of it. And yeah, when you're developing a project. Like buying stock. <laughs> like buying stock, yes. <laughs> I read it compared to that and I just kind of liked that analogy. I feel like it was easier for me to understand once I looked at it that way. So Definitely. I like how you simplify that too with like banking as well with the certification through the GATS generator attribute tracking system. That's yes. what GATS is. And the most popular PGM which is Pennsylvania, Jersey, Maryland, as Suzanne said, and Nepal and New England, because it's really the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic and the deregulated markets that SRECs or RECs have been popular. Well, great. This has been an amazing... I was going to say, I think we covered pretty much all that we can cover about that. I mean, you can go on and on, and we can get really specific about it. So, I mean, if anybody has specific questions, feel free to reach out to me via email. There's some good information on how to actually use the GATS site on the GATS site. For those of you that want Renew Energy to handle that for you, again, reach out to me. <laughs> at Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, at RenewEnergy.com, R-E-N-E-U, Energy.com. And I apologize, Suzanne. I quickly noticed that one time I quickly said Sue and then corrected myself. Which in the is beginning a pet of, peeve of mine. So I apologize so again thank you for that. the apology you publicly, know. Benoit. <laughs> yes. So yeah, we thank you for being on the podcast. And we look forward, actually, Suzanne, for you to co-host we're going to do one specifically on the New Jersey solar market where we'll go a lot more into New Jersey as well. We talked a little bit about the community solar. Also, the New York solar market as well. I will be speaking at a conference oh, yeah, next week, the New York 2019 Solar Summit in Albany. And I'm actually moderating a panel called Community Solar Translating Pipeline into Deployments. So we'll talk about that. And then we're going to also interview Juan as well. So I know a lot of people have asked for more podcasts with Suzanne as a co-host and we have a lot coming up. So we look forward to Yeah, I appreciate that everybody. And because I'm looking forward to being back too. Great. Until next time, everybody. Until next time, we release an episode every Tuesday morning and all your major 
podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio, Overcast, Google Play, Podbean. You could also find it on the Renew Energy website as well. And we also have a solarmaverickpodcast.com that as well has the podcast. And we really appreciate your support. Thank you. Carpe Solum, everybody. Thank you. Hashtag Carpe Solum. See you guys. See you. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and leave us a five-star review. That helps us build this community, and that's what we're all about right now, building this community as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can. 